Open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is going to introduce us to the fall and the problem of evil. The video that we just watched was a great presentation of the logical defense of the problem of evil. People for many years have tried to make a logical argument against the problem of evil. It's very simple. If God exists, God's all-powerful. If God's all-powerful, he can stop evil. Therefore, if evil exists, God doesn't exist. So that's it. So if there's evil, there must not be a, a God. And if there is a God, then and there is evil, he's not a good God, he's a devil. So we're being ruled by an evil God, an evil overlord like Darth Vader. So how would you answer somebody like that? Would you tell them, well, God's not good, he's an evil dictator? Or would you say that evil's not real? So you have to deny one or the other. You have to either deny God's goodness and say, well, God really isn't that good. Or you have to deny evil and say, well, really evil doesn't exist. Well, that's not a possibility. We see evil. And then to say God doesn't exist, that's like saying that we all came from nothing. So what do you do? That's what that video was answering. And that's what I'm going to spend the next hour talking about. You all ready for it? Amen. Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We're going to learn about the fall and the problem of evil. I have the full video on the notes, and you can go back and review that as well. The simple answer is, is that God made free will creatures and that he allowed us freely to choose evil. If God wanted robots, there would be no evil. It's that simple. You have free will, now you have a choice. Without free will, you wouldn't have had a choice. And then so for those who get upset about there being evil, do you want the solution right now of you not having a choice and us taking out your brain and you becoming computerized? No, because then they wouldn't feel like they're a real person anymore. They would feel like a Pinocchio. So that's the simple solution is the very thing you're using to be angry with God about, like your free will, is the very thing that led us in this issue to begin with. Now, does God redeem our free will or, or our bad choices? Yes, he does. But let's look at where those bad choices came from. And if you remember, last week we talked about the creation of the world being a literal event, six 24-hour days, God made hev the heavens and the earth. Guess what? I also believe Genesis chapter 3 is real. I also believe that there was a talking serpent. I also believe that there was a perfect garden of Eden. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible tells me to believe that. As we've learned before, everybody has a worldview and they have foundations of their worldview. This is the Christian worldview. Our foundation is the Word of God. We've defended that here in previous sermons, so I don't have time to go through it. But if somebody gets upset with you and says, you believe the Bible and just whatever the Bible says, yeah, that's my starting point. What's yours? Well, I believe what science says. Then what are you going to say? What are you going to say back to them? How do you know what science says? How do you have a brain to understand science? And by the way, science doesn't walk around talking like on a Sesame Street show, a talking word called science. So where'd your brain come from? Well, I got it from the goo. Well, where'd the goo come from? It came from a big bang. Where'd the big bang? You see, somebody's going to have to admit at some point that their foundation is either in a God or they don't have one. Now, if they say it's in a different, different God than the Bible, then let's go their God and their book, book and man versus book and man. Muhammad, the Quran, Jesus, the Bible. Let's go. Ding, ding, ding. Did anybody see the McGregor fight? I don't know, man. All I've been seeing is the highlights of that thing. I mean, you want to see uh, the mayhem, you know, watch a modern-day UFC fight or something. But uh, I'm ready to go book in the man. Let's go Krishna, Bhagavad Gita, Bible, Jesus, let's go. Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon, Jesus, Bible, let's go. So you're going to find out that if you don't have God, you don't have a foundation. 
So any other non-beliefs, any other non-theistic belief system is going to literally rest on nothing, and that's an impossibility. It's insanity. That's why the Bible says the fool said in their heart, there is no God. It's a foolish position to take. And then everyone else who, put, who chooses a different God other than the God of the Bible, the Bible is very clear that all the gods of the nations are idols. The God of Mormonism is a false God. The God of Islam is a false God. The gods of Hinduism are a false God. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. And if people will study book in the man versus book in the man, they'll come to that every time. Now, that's great as a philosophical discussion. But we as Pentecostal Christians can take it one step further. We feel Jesus. Amen. We have an experience with God that they don't have. They don't get that uh, doing the crooked chicken and being vegans and meditation. They don't get that from praying five times a day towards a rock in Mecca. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, looking at some of you, I wouldn't know whether or not you have it. So you better tell your face what your heart has right now because I'm looking at some of y'all looking busted and disgusted at 957. Let your face know what your heart has and put a big smile on it right now and look at your neighbor and say, I feel Jesus. Amen. Now stay up for the rest of the service. Can you do that? Stay up for the rest of the service and smile at me every now and then. You're not so hungry you want to eat me, are you? I mean, you're looking at me like your tummy's growling. Some of you already want to go back to bed. The weather's changed a little bit, but stay with me today. It's going to be good. Genesis chapter 3 gives us our presupposition of why man is evil. So as we were looking at this chart, we see that we have presuppositions. One of them is that our God is triune, that creation is over evolution, and we believe that man is sinful now. And why is that? Because of the fall we're about ready to read. And the next week we'll talk about Jesus being God in the flesh, salvation by faith alone, and God will judge the world. Why we call these presuppositions is because we can't prove these in a laboratory. Every worldview is going to come with presuppositions. And so our presupposition is that the word of God is built to make sense of the world with these viewpoints. So if you take out God being triune, you won't be able to make sense of the world. The Bible won't make sense. You won't make sense out of the world unless you believe in creation, so on and so forth. So that's why I'm going through these presuppositions. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. If you notice, I put a link there for serpent. You can learn about the dynamics of the serpent throughout the Bible in different links and uh, different uh, passages. I also mentioned some there, 2 Corinthians 11.3 and Revelation 12.9, but I included a whole article there. We know at this point that the serpent is a literal animal because we know that God created it. Those of you who have already skipped ahead and read your Bible, you know that the devil is the serpent. But some people now want to say that the devil just took the form of a serpent that is not true. Look at what it says, that this serpent, serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. So this is a literal serpent slithering on this tree. Now, when it starts to talk, that's going to be another story. We'll get to that in just a moment. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So now we see a talking serpent, and this ain't just any old talking serpent. This is not like your friendly neighborhood talking serpent. This is a serpent that now is questioning the things of God. So at this point, we have to use the rest of the Bible to get the revelation of who this serpent is. At this time, put yourself in the place of the Jews who are receiving Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. When they were receiving this, they wouldn't have known everything that we now know 6,000 years later. What we now know is this is Satan possessing a serpent and speaking his lies. They will learn about Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer, who was created with the other angels like Michael and Gabriel, and that he fell and he took a third of an innumerable amount of angels with him. So what we will learn later on throughout the Bible is that Satan was created when the heavenly realms were created on day one. But he fell somewhere between day one and this time period. So we don't know how long the time period is between Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve could have been living in an eternal state in their perfect body in the perfect Garden of Eden for 100 years. We have no idea. We know the genealogy after the fall and when they start having children. But this right now is not listed in a time frame. So we just take a guess that it could have been anywhere between 10, 20 years, or even a day or two. We just guess. We don't know. But the point is that Lucifer was created on day one, and now he's fallen, and he's here. And what we believe is that he is consigned here. Now, some people try to ask the question, why did Satan fall? Satan fell the same reason we fell, through being tempted of sin. But Satan was our tempter, so people ask, who was Satan's tempter? God must have made a temptation available to him that we don't know about because he gave angels free will. So the temptation could have simply been, you can stay or you can go. You can worship me or you can worship yourself. He allowed him not to be a robot, in other words, and to have free thoughts. He allowed him to do that. And by allowing him to have that choice, he makes the wrong choice. He is now what I believe consigned to this tree, and now it's up to us, what are we going to do? And so we don't know how many times Adam and Eve passed by this tree and didn't touch it and didn't get around it. But on this day, they are now staring at it, and now they are desiring it, and they can hear the voice of the serpent. And notice what the serpent says. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And that is actually a lie, and the woman will call her out. And that's why the Bible says he's the father of lies. He's been telling lies from the beginning. Verse 2 the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And so you see the original command is in Genesis 2.16. And so Jesus literally said to them, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but this one you cannot eat from. And notice that the devil's first lie is to twist Jesus' words. Isn't that what the devil's been doing ever since Adam and Eve? Twisting Jesus' words. Know this, my friends. The devil knows more about the Bible than you do. He knows how to make it sound acceptable to the desires of evil that you have. So he knows that they want to eat it. And so what does he do? He says to them, did God really say you couldn't eat from any of these trees? And what he wants to make God out to be right now is a meaning. God's so unfair. He said, don't eat from any of these trees. Because what he wants to do is put in her heart that really it's unfair that she can't eat from this tree. You know, God's so mean. And she goes, well, he didn't say we couldn't eat from all the trees. It was just this one. But now the seed is already planted. Why would he be so mean to tell me I couldn't eat from this little old one? 
And now let's keep going. Verse 4, you will not certainly die. There is his second lie. He twists God's word about not eating all the tree, all the fruit of the tree when they could except for the knowledge of good and evil. And now he says you will not certainly die. And that was the number one thing that was said would happen when they eat from that tree. So think about it very simple. God is making a choice for them. The tree of life will sustain them and keep them in an eternal state. And remember that tree of life is what's going to keep us in eternal state in Revelation chapter 22. As the book begins is how the book ends. We're in a garden state in a perfect world in Genesis chapter 1. We come to that garden state in Revelation chapter 22. There's a river of life in that garden in Genesis chapter 1. There's a river of life flowing from the throne of Jesus. Jesus and the Father and Revelation 22. That's the last chapter of the Bible. And we see that there is a tree of life in the first chapter of the Bible, and there's a tree of life in the last chapter of the Bible. And so now he's lying to them, and he says, you will not die. And so what God must have said in this command in the death was that you will have a choice to learn good and evil without me, and then the penalty will be to die, or you will learn it with me, because you'll learn in just a few moments that God knows good and evil. And the problem isn't the knowledge of the good and evil. The problem is doing it from a fallen state. We were never meant to experience the knowledge of good and evil separated from God. God would have taught us the knowledge of good and evil in his presence. He would have been our tutor as we're eating the, the apple of life. He would have taught us about all things. You know, As we're eating the good fruit, he would have told us about good and evil. So he says, you will not die, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is true, and what we will see is that knowledge gives us power and makes us like God. And you'll even see that God says they're like us. Let's keep going to Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now here are the three things that tempt us in life. Notice how they come up here. We now know it in 1 John, but notice how it comes up here in Genesis 3 verse 6. When the, woman, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. So she sees that it's good to eat. That's what her flesh wants. And pleasing to the eye, that's what her eye wants, the lust of the eyes. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life, to do it outside of God's plan, she took some and ate it. There is the great sin that brought humanity into damnation disobedience to the will of God, wanting to have knowledge of good and evil outside of God's presence. She also gave some to her husband, who was Adam. He ate it with her. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's where we get the best guess that they must have been covered by something else if they didn't know they were naked. So they must have been covered by the glory of God, the glory of God that we get in Revelation 22, clothed in white, as the Bible says. And so we don't look at clothed in white just as materials. We look at it literally being the Holy Spirit in his glory covering us. And that's how it's known in the Old Testament in the Hebrew word kabod, the covering of God. And so now their eyes are open to the flesh and they see that the presence of God has left them. And now they've become sinful. 
And so what do they try to do to cover up their nakedness with? They sew fig leaves together. And isn't that what people have been doing ever since then? Is covering up their own shame with the pitiful things of this world. Trying to replace the glory of God. We all know there's something wrong in this world. We all know that things aren't right, but we try to fix it on our own. All of our self-help programs are nothing but fig leaves trying to cover ourselves. Somebody help, say, somebody say help us, Jesus. Thank you. Now look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this must have been a pattern that God would have with them. Like we said before, we don't know for how long this pattern was going on, but God would come and literally walk with them face to face and talk with them in the garden. But this time, instead of God's presence being something they run to, they run from. Why? Because they're sinful now. Isn't that why there's empty chairs in this church today? Because people in sin instead of running to God they're running from God isn't that why there are so many problems in our world today that we as sinners are running from God instead of running to God see don't run from God when you sin run to God and he'll forgive you so verse 9 the Lord God called to man where are you now how many know God never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to he's asking the question for the sake of man do you know where you are do you know what you have done to yourself? Where are you, he answered. Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. This is the first time fear is brought up because I was naked, so I hid. Fear is a result of sin. Every emotional despair you will feel in this life is a result of sin. I don't want you to always get self-conscious and make yourself feel like you have done that to yourself because of sin, like we're sick because of a certain sin. That's superstition. But I want you to understand that sickness is a part of the curse of sin from the Garden of Eden, and mental anguish is a part of the curse of sin. Now, all of us should do our part, obviously, and try to be healed and to walk in mental wholeness but understand they had never known fear until that moment and the first fear they have is one of shame I was naked and so I hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from so who told Adam he was naked did the serpent slither along and say hey look at you you're naked look how stupid you look no now Adam became his worst enemy. Now his thoughts worked against him. In the Garden of Eden, our thoughts, our brain worked in unity with our mind. You are not your physical brain. Your physical brain will die, but your mind is a part of your soul and will live forever. This is now the first time there is a conflict between what we would say is the flesh and the spirit. Now the brain, the hard drive, is giving him wrong information. See, the brain is acting now as a beast, as an animal. The spirit is desiring God, but the animal instinct of the brain is saying, run from God, turn from God, be ashamed of God. And that's why Jesus, even while he was praying in the garden, said, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. There for the first time, we see the battle of the flesh and the spirit. He said, who told you that? And obviously, 
It's an answer Jesus already knows. You told yourself that. You want to look at the reason why you'll go to hell? Look at yourself in the mirror and you'll see the reason why you'll go to hell. It will be because of yourself. No one will go to hell because of the devil. They'll only go there because of the decisions they have made. They can't blame the devil for the decision they made. The devil could not make them eat from that tree. They ate from that tree on their own and Jesus could not make them eat from the tree of life. Now will the devil assist you in temptation? He sure does and he sure did. He, he'll love to help you go on that path but will God be there to lead you as well? Yes he will. So once again it's your choice. The man said, no, here's the man's answer. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So he blames her. There's the first marital fight because of the fall. Now man blames his wife for the problems in his life. I just heard about one of my friends, a pastor resigning from the ministry. If I said the name of the church here, all of you would know it. And a lot of it was based on marital issues. And when it was being brought out, he blamed his wife, and they became separated. The devil is a liar. Man, you are responsible for your wife. Are you listening to me, men? You are responsible to care for her and to love her. And even if she does make mistakes, you are not to blame her. You are to do better so she can be better in Jesus' name. Amen? So then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So notice nobody takes responsibility. And isn't that the same problem today? The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. Is God buying it? No, he's not. He's not taking those excuses. Because the truth is no one made them eat that fruit. And nor will the devil have a tempta uh, an excuse for him accepting his temptation. Now, remember the difference between us and, and the fallen angels is we get a second chance. They wish they could have another chance, but they don't. We get another chance after having sinned to come to Jesus. So now here come the curses. Somebody say, make it plain. Thank you. Now here come the curses. Everything you will now see upon the earth is described here in one way or another. So why is there evil? Because we ate of that tree. Why is the earth cursed? Because of that. Why is there natural disaster like hurricanes and things like that? Because this earth is now cursed. Why do children now have sickness? Why is there rape and evil? Because we were cursed. That is it. That is it, my friends. There is no more confusion. It's not that there isn't a good God, and it's not like there isn't evil existing. No, there's a good God, and evil does exist, but we chose evil. Here we are now. As you will soon learn, you will have to deal with that problem either with Jesus or you will pay for it yourself in hell. Because you are a part of the problem of evil now. Every single one of us have sinned and done wrong ourselves. So we can't just look back at Adam and be like, man, I would have done so much better. No, because you now have sinned on your own. And your one sin would cost the whole world damnation if he reset it every time a new person was born and said, okay, now Adolfo gets to be born perfect. Let's watch him, ladies and gentlemen. After he sins, we all get upset with him. The next one comes. Okay, Juan, it's your turn. We would do it over and over and over again. So that's why he just said, I'm done with Adam, but I'll prove it to you. In other words, as you live, you'll do just what Adam did, and we've all done it. That's why the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one here is outside of the reason why the earth is cursed and why the world is cursed. Are you listening? 
He said, because you have done this, talking to the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, some people think at this point that the serpent was somewhat of a lizard, and now he loses his legs and goes to the ground. I don't believe that. I believe he was always on the ground. But now the serpent is going to get cursed to always eat dust and always to lick up that dust as he does now as a part of his senses. He'll do that even in the new kingdom. Isaiah chapter 65 Verse 25 says that things will go back to a state of originality in the uh, new earth that we'll get. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Because remember, in the beginning, all the animals were vegetarian, but the dust will be the serpent's food. So that serpent, even in the new kingdom, will still be eating dust. That will always be a reminder to us of the fall of humanity. Even for eternity, we will see that, that, that serpent eating dust. Because remember, we don't stay in heaven very long. We come back to rule and reign with Christ, and then he creates a new heaven and earth. So the curse is upon a literal animal, and we know Satan has already been cursed, and you can read about that from Jesus. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That was the day he fell, and when he fell like lightning, he must have been assigned to that tree. And we know that these demons will come upon the earth as locusts and as tormentors in that seven year of tribulation period, but then they will be cast into the lake of fire. And what does the Bible say at judgment time? And what does the Bible say in Matthew 25? That those who do not serve Christ, they will will be sent to the lake of fire. Hear this. I'm going to go there with you. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Prepared for who? Prepared for who? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at Matthew chapter 25 when we see about the separation of the serpent and the goats. The Bible says here when they are cursed, people who do not live for Jesus, he will say, Jesus talking, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that means the moment they fell, hell was created for them, and then he was assigned to that tree. And when we sinned, he became a ruler over this world. He allowed his demons to become principalities and so forth. And that's why when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, now I have all authority in heaven and earth. And people ask all the time, if Jesus is God, why did he ever need, have, why did he ever need the authority of heaven and earth? He already had it. The thing is, he had it as God, but man had lost it in the garden. That's why God became man to get what we lost. Put that on Facebook. Put that on Facebook. There's a reason for the season of Christmas, and it's not for you to get gifts. It's for Jesus to break the curse of sin. It's the reason of the problem of evil being solved in Jesus. It's not just a cute, cuddly baby. It's a God becoming man so that man can have dominion in which he lost because of sin. And if you don't accept that Jesus, you will remain cursed with the serpent and his angels. It's that simple. Now notice what he says to the, to the serpent now. To the devil. So we know the actual animal gets cursed, but now we know he's speaking to the devil. Let's keep going. Verse 15. And I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman. And that's not just women not liking snakes. That has nothing to do with that. I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you think at the time they got this understanding, this revelation, that they understood it? 
This was a mystery to them. How in the world is the serpent going to have offspring that fight against the offspring of a woman and then this single man that comes from a woman is going to strike a serpent, somehow do away with the curse, and while striking the serpent, the serpent's going to strike his heel. During the time of Moses, there was a plague that came, and God told him to raise up a staff that had a serpent on it, and anybody that looked on it was healed. They began to start to see symbology wrapped with the serpent, and what that means is that Jesus would be lifted up and take on our sin in which the serpent had given us, and we who looked to him would be healed. He said, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. But it literally took thousands of years for them to see who the serpent crusher was. It was Jesus. When you go to the book of John and we go to our famous scripture, John 3.16, you got to read on down through the verses 17 and onward. It tells us why he came and it uses the example of the same thing that happened with uh, Moses in the time of the garden. Look at it. It's before John 3.16, but I want you to see it here. Look at what he says. As the serpent was lifted up, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Look at this, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Why was a serpent lifted up during a plague during the time of the Israelites? Because it was a representation of your sinfulness and Jesus' redemption over sin. And Jesus says, I am the serpent crusher. Come on. Now watch what he says to the woman. I will make pains in your childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to a children. And all the mothers said, amen. You went through that, didn't you? You went through painful labor. Now that's part of the curse. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Do you now want to know why men are naturally stronger than women? This happened right here. If you want to use your imagination, in the Garden of Eden, though one was male and female, they were both equally strong like Superman and Superwoman. They were both strong and powerful. They were equal in every single mighty way. But after this point, woman's DNA, her genetics became to be less strong physically as a man. And that then became a representation of man being the head of his home. Men go to war. Women care for children and so forth. And then this even continues on in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says that the man is the head of the house. The husband and the wife submits to him. That is the reason, because the Bible says she is the weaker vessel. Not weaker in mentality, but weaker in strength. On average, you get one man, one woman. The men's bone structure, muscle will be stronger on average. That came from the curse. Painful childbearing. Now she'll have to be home and do these things. And then your desire will be for your husband, that women mostly will have a desire for a husband, where most men will be like, I'm cool not being married. The woman will do that, and he will rule over you. That's why men have been the most uh, successful inventors, uh, leaders, and all of those things. It doesn't mean that women can't be in ministry or be equal. We teach egalitarianism here, that women can be great leaders and all those things. But this was the reason why there was a significant difference moving forward in human history. All because of the fall. Now he says to Adam, 
Because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground from it all the days of your life. So the ground will now be cursed. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And what we know is that when the ground is cursed, that all of the things that made the garden beautiful are now going to start going away. The garden did not need rain. It had mist from the waters. It was not even rain during those times. There was no need of winter jackets. They were covered in the glory of God. And as we'll then see with the flood of Noah, the fault lines busting open and the earth shaking and the mountains coming up through those, uh, those fault lines, a ice age will happen. The axis of the earth will possibly be affected depending on how you read the Bible. And our earth will now have diverse seasons, tsunamis, earthquakes, all of these things that will come because of a cursed earth. But at the time of the Garden of Eden, it was a blessed earth. The ground was blessed. There were no broken fault lines to create earthquakes. There were no grand canyons caused by massive flooding. There was no ice age. There was no winter. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Some of y'all like winter, though. It says it will produce thorns and thistles. Now the ground's not just going to come up like it was in this garden. You're going to have to work to plant. Talk to a farmer on what it takes to plant things and to make them grow. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since, it, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. They were covered in glory, eating from the tree of life. The flesh would have been sustained forever. They never would have died. Now their body is going to die. That means now someone can kill that body. Since they're no longer protected by the glory of God, someone can molest that body. Now they're no longer protected by the glory of God, and the earth is cursed, and the plants are cursed. Now diseases can affect that body, and heredity can pass on those genetics. Genetic problems. Any questions, class? This is why children are born crippled. This is why I wear glasses. This is why you have a funny looking nose. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, half kid. This is why your breast stinks in the morning. This is why it hurts when you get older to get out of bed. This is it. Has God stopped being good? Did anything here change the nature of our God? No. Is there, is there such a thing as evil? Of course. Are we going to deny and play make-believe? No, there's a good God and there's evil. What's the problem? The problem is us. Put that on Facebook. Problem is us. That's the problem. We were given the garden in a perfect state. This is what it looks like now. As I stood on Pulaski and Madison yesterday preaching the gospel, you can barely see the beauty of creation anymore. It's gone. There's a few weeds that grow up to remind you of something that can grow, but no lush vegetable gardens, no lush trees, concrete jungle, people on drugs, those who aren't on drugs living for their money and their jobs. Nobody has a smile on their face, but yet if you can lift up your head a little bit above the, the buildings, you can see the beautiful blue sky. And you can feel the heat of the sun giving warmth and you can take in a deep breath and breathe out the oxygen. It feels like something has gone wrong. There's enough right to make me think it all could have been right. And yet there's, a much, there's enough wrong to make me feel like this is, is enough to make me feel in pain. But I bet you it could get worse. 
I bet you if that police officer wasn't there right now, somebody would die on this corner. And I bet you if this child wasn't protected by that parent, this child would be raped in that alley right now. Why can things be better and yet be worse at the same time? It's because man has taken the perfect thing of God and we're trying to bring it to hell as fast as the devil will tell us. And it's only the righteous that are fighting it back against this tide of evil. And that's why when we come to Christ, we take on the authority of Christ. And when we preach the gospel, we're taking land. And that's why he said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We'll ascend those gates and we will plunder hell and populate heaven. But guess what? We still can't thwart the will of man. We can't make them do what they don't want to do. We can make laws, praise God for them. We can put police officers there and don't judge the whole bunch by a bad one. We can put the military there. We can do all of these things with churches. We can do all of this, but we can't stop the will of man. So now until Jesus comes back, behold your planet, the one you once used to have dominion over. Now it's filled with good and with evil. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from the dust you are, to the dust you will return. Now the body will die. My hair will turn gray. It will fall out. We will lose our strength. There's your answer to death in nursing homes. Adam named his wife Eve, the, liver, the, the mother of all living things, because she'd become the mother of all living things. That's what Eve just simply means. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve and clothed them. This is now probably, we assume, the first time death happens, a sacrificial death of an animal so that men now can have clothes. This is now animals. Our friends in the garden are now going to start dying. You're going to start looking over at that, uh, that, that lion over there or, or that deer, and you're going to say, I bet you would taste good. I bet you would taste good. You want to see that little pig over there? And uh, what was that Charlotte's Web? What was the name of that pig's name? What was it called? Wilbur. Well, you see Wilbur over there, you start thinking bacon now. Before Wilbur was your friend, and now you're thinking, boy, that would taste really good. God killed an animal, clothed them in skin, uh, clothed them in the animal skin. The Lord God said, now notice this, that the devil's lie was partial truth. That's how he operates. The man or mankind has now become like one of us. This is the settling that the Trinity has been developed within the three chapters of the Bible. I showed it to you before in that message, but we know the us is not just a majestic plural, one person trying to speak on behalf of others, and we know the us is not the angels. We know now here this is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Man has now become like us, and how has he become just like us? Knowing good and evil. The truth is, God was always going to teach us good and evil, but not separated from him. The knowledge of good and evil in the tree that was there was for us to make a decision to be the arbiter or the judge of what we wanted to call good and evil. Do you see the difference? God has always known good and evil. How many know that? But now man knows it. But what's the difference between God and man? Now man knows it with a wicked heart. That's why men must be now born again so they can know the difference between good and evil. Do you want to know what a mature Christian is? Go to Hebrews chapter 6, and I'll teach you what a mature Christian is. Is a mature Christian somebody who knows uh, who the four horsemen of the apocalypse are or knows when the end times are going to come or, you know, when Jesus is coming back? 
I'll show you right here who a mature Christian is according to the Bible. It says right here in Hebrews chapter 5, rather, verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. Many of you here are still in the 101, and you should be teachers by now, but you keep needing the milk. It's time for you to get up, grow up, get off the bobo, and start eating meat. Can I hear an amen? Though by the, the fact, right here, the Bible says, though you ought to be teachers, you still need someone teaching you elementary truths of God's word all over again. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Amen. Nudge your neighbor and say he really does love us. Amen. Thank you. You need milk, not solid food. Now watch this. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the who? For the who? The mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, God was going to teach us it. We would have matured as spiritual beings in the garden without having to be our own decider of good and evil. We would have learned God as the judge in his standard of good and evil. And so now circle it all back around. You ain't getting away from it. You either going to do it God's way or the easy way or the hard way. And now mankind's doing it the hard way. And the choice is up to you. Are you going to mature and grow up and know the difference between good and evil? Or are you going to remain under the curse of the devil and be sent to the hell that was prepared for him and his fallen angels. Come on, somebody say, make it plain. Amen. So he said, now they have become like us. They know good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also now from the tree of life and live forever. Everybody get this. What would have happened in a cursed state if we would have taken the tree of life and started living forever in that sense? We would have had hell on earth. That literally would have been hell on earth. We would be trapped here. The flesh would never die. So do you know that the curse of death is actually a gift to your soul so you can be free from this cursed flesh? The gift of death, uh, the curse of death is a gift to the soul because you don't have to live here forever like this. And you know why the world and all of these millionaires like Michael Jackson who wanted to live forever and come up with these chambers and, and keep their bodies is because they're afraid to meet the God who made them. And they love this wicked world just like the devil. And that's why he wishes Jesus doesn't come back because he would rather be in this state with his little bit of freedom to do his ruling and reigning than for the judgment to come and him to be assigned eternally to heaven or hell. But how many know for the Christian, we're not afraid of death. We're not trying to live in this state forever. We're saying, death, where is your sting? You have no sorrow over us. You've been defeated by Jesus because I believe in the one who raised from the dead to give me eternal life. So I'm just a stranger here. I'm just passing through, y'all. My kingdom is the one that's coming. And so he said, don't let him do that. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Edom cherubim. That's plural. Cherub is single. He placed multiple cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And this is where Cortez and others thought of a fountain of life. They thought things like this might have still existed, but that was only for a time. Now notice this. Cherubim are the ones with wings. Angels are messengers who look just like us. Michael looks like 
like us. These are the names of the angels we know. Gabriel looks like us. Satan has an image like us, the Bible says. But it's cherubim are the ones with the, with the wings. And it's the seraphim that have six wings. The cherubim were the ones that God placed to over the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. And that may very well represent the eternal tree of life coming to us again in Christ in the new covenant because where the cherubim were placed here because of the curse now in the old covenant the cherubim are placed there on the mercy seat where the blood is shown where we get eternal life and then the throne of God coming surrounded by his angels the cherubim have a place to play in it amen and so we see here to the ark of the covenant to the book of revelation that cherubim will represent to us the place of where the mercy seat is the throne of God is where the tree of life is that's the story of where evil came from and why it's here today. Now, I want you to see this quickly before we go, the results of the fall in the Garden of Eden. What really happened there? And I got all the scriptures for you. Mankind lost the glory of God. We lost our covering, the righteousness. Now we'll be born sinners, separated from God. Emotional anguish began to come upon our minds. We began to see the brain and the mind fight against each other. Pain in childbirth and the family order being knocked out. Pain in work and a cursed universe physical death, the body dying, knowing, the good, knowing good and evil without God's help, being left to our own devices, and that's going to be the problem in Genesis chapter 6, why the earth is cursed and Noah's flood. Just look at that. Genesis chapter 6, what does the Bible say about them by this time? When human beings began to increase the number on the earth and daughters were born to them, they began to have sex with each other and do so forth. But what does it say? God said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are mortal. Their days will only be 120. So he had to cut down their days, and they began to have giants around that time, and people were heroes. And look at what happens. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every, somebody say every, come on, somebody say it again, every, thank you, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Do you want to know why God destroyed the world with water? It's because from the time of Adam and then Cain killing his brother e e Abel, evil reigned in men's heart to the point where God said, I regret even making them. I'm going to destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. How far do you get along in our Bible without understanding the reason why there's evil? You only get to, what, about chapter 3? And then by chapter 6, God's destroying the whole place. Are you listening? You don't even get about six chapters in before you see how fed up God is with it. So could anybody, especially a non-Christian, come to us and start complaining about evil as if there's some kind of problem we don't know about? As I've told you before, there's Christians who give up on God because their mama gets cancer, their child dies. I had a friend in Bible college, his child died stillbirth, and he quit serving Jesus. Like as if he didn't understand why children die. You will not use that as an excuse to go to hell. Listen to me. Life and death belong to God, and death is here because of us. Deal with it. You've got sorrow, Jesus took your sorrows. You've got sickness, Jesus took your sickness. You cannot use the sorrows and sickness of this world as a reason to get mad at God. Live for Jesus, amen? And we have separation from God. We lost our spiritual dominion, and that's where principalities and powers got set up over us. If you've ever seen one of those movies like Lord of the Rings or Marvel, and you see wicked people ruling the land, that's what happened in this world. Wicked people began to rule the land as the devil began to empower them. 
Now, you want to understand all the problems of evil? You started with the Garden of Eden. Then where did I go to you? To Genesis. We got our lives cut down. Noah lived over 900 years. Methuselah lived over 1,000 years. But God got so fed up with them in Noah's generation, he said, not only am I going to destroy the earth, I'm going to put in their DNA code that they can't even live past 120. And ever since we've been tracking people's ages, we hardly have anybody that makes it to that age. So is the Bible right? Everybody says science, science, science disproves the Bible. I believe in the Bible. Be, I believe in science because of the Bible. Show me people living over 120. God put a cap on our DNA that we couldn't go any further than that. And the Noah's flood, as I described before, ripped our earth apart. Don't you think that it was some little bathtub, its situation with a little bathtub toy of Noah's ark. It was a huge boat meant to survive a tsunami and all that went on. The earth shook, fault lines came, the mountains rose. Sometimes people say, well, did the water go 30,000 feet? No, the water only had to go as high as the little hills were at that time. But mountain ranges developed. Everybody believes mountain ranges came up, but they just don't believe how it came up. We know how mountain ranges ranges came up 30,000 feet. They came up when God split the earth. Bible says water came up from the deep and split the earth. That's why the earth is the way it is. People look at the Grand Canyon and say, oh, look what a little river did over thousands of years. We'll say, look at what God did in one day or 40 days. Are you listening? We know it got ripped open by some force of water, whether it took thousands of, of years or a, a couple of days is whether or not you believe the Bible. See, none, but nobody was there to tell us, but I'm going to believe the Bible, and Jesus believed the flood. Come on, are you listening? And then the last thing, we always talk about racism and cultures, and where did all these people come from with different languages, and why do people look differently? God cursed us at the Tower of Babel because we tried to build a, a skyscraper to heaven so we could get there and teach him a thing or two. Who is it? It's me. I want to talk to God. He's busy. Like we were going to get up there and talk to him. I got a problem with you. Let me tell you a thing or two about what's going on. God saw us doing that and said, angels, send them into confusion. Gave them all a bunch of different languages. And that's why we became isolated. And that's why black people stayed black, Asians stayed Asian, Anglos and Vikings stayed Vikings. Is because we were spread out according to our language. And then when you just inbreed with the same people over and over and over again, you all start to look alike. And then now we started saying one color of dirt is more better than the other color of dirt. Did not God say this skin goes back to dirt, goes back to dust? Your dirt's lighter than my dirt. Your dirt's darker than my dirt. It's just dirt we're talking about now, saints. And when we get covered in the glory of God, it's the same glory. Can I get an amen? I don't care if he was black or white or Asian. All I care is that he bled red for me. Amen. And so those are the explanations of the bigger problems of evil. And so now let me close out as Adam comes up here, please, to the hypocrisy that the world will bring to you. And so all you got to do when they start to talk to you about the problem of evil, ask them, what problem do you have with evil? Why does this even bother you? Because if you're not a Christian, you don't have a reason for the problem of evil. So let's start with the non-believers. Richard Dawkins is a real smart scientist. He wrote The God Delusion. This is what he said. Look at what he wrote here. There is no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So does he believe there's evil? No, he just says we're all animals. Evil doesn't exist. Does he believe there's any good? No. Now watch what he says about the God of the Old Testament. 
The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pesticidal, megalomaniac, sadomasochic, capriciously malevolent bully. Well, so you're basically saying, in other words, our God is evil? <laughs> I thought you said evil didn't exist. So what you got a problem with that fairy tale then? See how they contradict themselves? If it's nothing but a fairy tale and evil doesn't exist, why are you calling it out and calling it evil? You see, this is the dilemma that they have. God doesn't exist because of evil. Oh, but hold on. Evil doesn't exist either. You mean if I start up here saying the Holocaust happened and therefore there can't be a God and I come right back to the Holocaust happened... I lose my ground? Yes. Because if you're going to disbelieve in God because the Holocaust happened, then why were you ever upset about the Holocaust happening? So which one are you going to pick, atheist or unbeliever? God doesn't exist because of evil or evil doesn't exist? Oh, it's getting hot. It's getting hot here now. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Christians are the only ones that can give an explanation for evil. Because we start off with good God made us to learn good and evil. Bad humans chose to know good and evil without that good God. And here we are. Cursed earth, cursed body, cursed life. And now Jesus who loved us so much. Now you understand John 3.16 a little bit more, right? God so loved the world, that fallen, broken world. That at times he regretted making. He loved that world enough to send his son to die for us. So you got a choice between Richard Dawkins or King David. Look at what King David said in Psalm 14:1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, because that's folly, isn't it? It's straight up folly, isn't it? Yes or no? Is it folly? It is. It's straight folly. You can't make sense of the world from an atheistic, non-believing perspective. So the fool says in his heart, there's no God. That's foolish. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind. How much of mankind? All mankind to see if there's any who understand. He looks to see if there's any who seek him. And he's concluded in verse 3, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. No one. No one can say you're better than Adam. No one can say they're better than Eve. No one does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? That's God's question back to us. Do y'all evildoers know anything at all? Because what you should know is that evil points back to a good God that you rebelled against. What you should know is that all the evil you've done makes you worthy of hellfire with the devil and his angels. And what you should know is have enough sense to repent to the maker who made heaven and earth and accept him into your life. That's true wisdom. That's why the Bible says, kiss the son lest he become angry. Do you know that Jesus solved the problem of evil? Can I show you how he solved it in Isaiah chapter 53? Jesus solved the problem of evil by coming to the cross and becoming sin for us. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 53 in closing. One of the most powerful passages in the Bible. Is there a problem with evil? Yeah, but Jesus solved it. Look at what it says starting in 52. See, my servant will act wisely. Talking about the Messiah, who we now know as Jesus. You see, as the Bible goes on and the prophets come forth, they start to make it more clear what's going to happen. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance will be so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred by human likeness. They will rise him up like that serpent. They will do evil to him. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. See, the Romans had no idea what they were doing when they were crucifying our Jesus. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, talking about Jesus, grew up before the Father like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty attracted to us. So when God became man, he didn't come down as Brad Pitt. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That's why when we go to the funeral of the stillbirth, that's why when we go to Auschwitz and deal with the problems of this world, we can point to the cross where the serpent was lifted up with Jesus taking our sins and say, He knows your pain. On the cross, He took the serpent's bite. He took the serpent's sting. We hid our faces from Him. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. If you and I would have been there in that crowd one day, we would have all raised up our shouts against him and say, if you were really the Messiah, then come down and beat up all these Romans. You're not who you say you were. You must have been playing tricks on us. That's what they yelled at. Crucify him. So they yelled. But he was pierced. Notice the word. 600 years before crucifixion, they even came to Jesus. He was what? Pierced for our transgressions. Ours. Point to your neighbors and say that includes yours. He was crushed for our iniquities. Burying that cross. Falling down. Falling down till they had to ask Simon from Africa to carry that cross for him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. My punishment it didn't go away. Adam's punishment, it didn't go away. It was just placed on Jesus. And by his wounds we are healed. You got a problem with evil? I got a problem solver. You got a problem with sickness? I've got a healer. You've got a problem with pain? I got a consoler. You've got a problem with punishment? I've got a redeemer. We all like sheep have gone astray. Clearly, again, it's all of us. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's the prophecy coming again of the serpent crusher. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't even open his mouth. He didn't try to argue his way out. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. They had to lie about him. Yet who of his generation protested? No one really spoke up for him, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. 
For the transgression of Mexico, he was punished. For the transgression of the Aztecs, he was punished. For the transgressions of the Romans, he was punished. For the transgressions of the Zulu nation, he was punished. For the transgression of the Israelite people, he was punished. For the transgressions of the world, he was punished. An innocent man took your punishment. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He died with the thieves. And with the rich in his death, notice the prophecy. He dies with the wicked, and in his death, he's taken by Joseph of Arimathea, who had his own tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. How many are children of God because of Jesus today? And prolong his days. How many know he's up in heaven? He raised from the dead. You couldn't keep him down. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, be satisfied by his knowledge. Look at this. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Everybody read this last part. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Would you stand up and give it up for our Jesus today? The problem solver. Come on. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How many of you got to deal with some evil today? Come on, I'm going to ask you again. How many of you got to deal with some evil? How many of you have got some evil to deal with? How about starting in your heart? Let's close our eyes and ask Jesus to forgive us. Ask Jesus to forgive you right now of the evil you've caused. If you're here in this place and you've done evil and you want one of us to pray for you, come up right now. We'll pray for the evil you've done to be forgiven. In Jesus' name, come up right now. How many of you are feeling the effects of evil because of sickness? It's not that you've necessarily done it to deserve it, but you're facing sickness and you want a prayer for healing. Come on up. By his stripes, you're healed. Right now, we'll pray for those who are suffering the curse from the beginning of sickness right now. Jesus said we can pray for you. How many of you are dealing with emotional pain right now? Fear, anxiety, depression, sadness, worry. Come on up and let Jesus heal you right now. He'll heal you of that. Come on, the rest of us, stretch your hands towards those at the front right now. We're praying for the serpent crusher to crush things right now. We're praying that the problem of evil will be solved in these lives right now. If you're dealing with poverty or lack, poverty's a curse. If you're dealing with not having enough, You're in between jobs and you're getting discouraged. Come up and we'll pray for God to bless you. The Bible says he who was rich became poor for us that we might be rich in him. The Bible says my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So are you dealing with sin, sickness, or sorrow, or poverty? Come on up in Jesus' name. Lack has to go. Sickness has to go. Sorrow has to go. Go in Jesus' name. Sin, go in Jesus' name. Jesus did it for us. Jesus did it for us. 
I'm going to pray and dismiss, but those who want to stay, keep praying with us because I feel something powerful in here. Father, bless us as we go today. May we always know and love you and help us to remember there may be evil and that may be a problem, but you, Jesus, are the problem solver. It's in your name we pray and everybody shouted. Amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you.